All right, well, grab your Bibles and open them up to Proverbs chapter 31. Uh, This is our last sermon in the book of Proverbs, and it is a doozy. Um, um, Not because the section that we're doing today is especially confusing or complex or even controversial, um, but it's a bit difficult for us at times because of what we bring to it. Uh, The Proverbs 31 woman, who we'll be looking at today, uh, has taken on a life of of its own, and she has become someone who she was never really meant to be. Now, I say this because in many circles, uh, the woman of noble character uh, has become sort of an unhealthy measurement of femininity. She's become a list of traits uh, that women are judged by, um, that's kind of held up, and, and, and when women basically are compared to it to say, how well do you meet this standard? And there's a tendency, and we all, I think, have this tendency to look at the ideal and then use it to feel inferior. And so the woman of Proverbs 31 has become one more absolute, uh, just one more way to feel like there is something wrong with us. Now, others see this section um, as, as severely limiting to women, that by giving a standard, by saying this is what a woman is or should be, um, somehow takes something away from women. And so the Proverbs 31 woman is hated because she is seen as a means of women being controlled. Now, I want to acknowledge both of these before we get into it, um, because I know that everything else that I say is going to be read through the lens that we come to this text with. And so the moment that I say something like, this section is here to give women a description of how to live out the role that God has given them, um, some people are going to feel shame, some people are going to get angry, some people are just going to shut out everything else. And so let me give you another lens, another way to think about it. Uh, One of the major issues of classical uh, philosophy is the problem of the universal and the specific. Um, This is a search for an ideal um, that helps us to sort of categorize things, to sort of unify um, in our minds that which is unique or or diverse. Um, An example of this, which we covered in the men's Bible study, is chairs. Chairs come in lots of different styles. Some chairs are cushioned, some are short, some are made of leather, some have arms, some are comfortable, and then there's our pews, right? Um, Beyond the fact that you sit on all of these things, um, there's not really a lot that they have in common. You can look across the spectrum, and there are a lot of different chairs, and yet we all know what a chair is, right? You look at a chair, and most of us would go, that is a chair. Uh, We don't have to go look it up in a dictionary to be able to define it. Now, any actual definition that you give to chair is going to limit it, limit something that was meant to be kept broad. You you can Google the definition of a chair later, um, but the point is, um, the existence of all of these different chairs does not do away with the reality of sort of a universal chair. There has to be a concept of chair that allows us for all the diversity to be held together. And I would say the description of the noble woman here is that larger concept. It's the description of women or woman universal, something to unify all women, but that no individual woman was ever meant to embody completely. And so when God defines and describes the beauty of womanhood here, it's not meant to be a standard to beat yourself up with. Instead, it reveals where God's beauty has been instilled in women. And with that, it should be read hopefully, not judgmentally. 
Now, in addition to this, we all know that sin exists. Um, the, the Bible tells us that God's perfection has been marred by sin, and so we should always start from the position that we are not who we should be. We are lacking. Now, that's not an issue of identity as much as it is just the reality of being human. We all sin. We all fall short. We are all missing the mark. And so while part of God's universal perfection exists in us, so does sin's destruction. And when he chooses to reveal his ideal, we should embrace it as a way to overcome what has been twisted. Reshaping our life is not acting against who we really are, but learning to discover it. And so Proverbs 31, the woman of noble character, gives us the opportunity to recognize how God is working while also helping us to become more of what we were created to be. And while this is directed at women specifically, um, there's quite a bit of direction for men as well, as we will see as we go. So Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10, it says this. It says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Now, as we get going here, um, it's helpful to remember that these words are coming through King uh, Lemuel. We saw that last week. Um, that, and these are words that have been spoken to him by his mother. And so while this is a reflection of God's ideal, it's also a mom trying to help her son find an excellent wife. Right? And this is because who you marry has a huge impact on every part of the rest of your life. The person you covenant with and connect yourself to is going to determine a lot of what your life looks like from that point on. And so while some moms can be a little overbearing, right? You have those moms who are like, no one is good enough for my son. Um, it comes from the recognition that, that, that your choice of spouse controls many parts of your future. And so get it right, a lot of things are going to go well for you. Get it wrong, well, this is how Proverbs describes it, Proverbs 21. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Right? Ugh. So it's worth seeking out an excellent wife. Proverbs tells us she is more precious than jewels. So before we get into any direction to the ladies, let me give some direction to the young men, since that's actually who is being spoken to here. Seek out a woman of noble character. Do not seek out simply physical beauty or the person who makes you feel good about yourself. No, in a spouse, you are looking for someone who you can make a life with. Someone who understands that God has given the purpose to human beings to create and serve and restore. And you're looking for someone who is willing to join you in the work of bringing his truth into his creation. Now, I'm not telling you to use this to make a checklist. Please. Right? Don't carry that around with you. It will not go well. But this chapter is going to describe a certain character and a way to approach life. Right? The kind of woman who sees herself in this way will be a great blessing to the rest of your life. You will have no lack of gain. That is the promise. Now, the other side of that is you men are not going to desire this type of woman unless you have changed your priorities already. And even if you did find one of these amazing women, uh, she wouldn't want to be with you right? unless you have become a man who wants to live a life for the glory of God. 
And so implied in this description of a woman of noble character is a man who values her and matches her commitment, a husband worthy of this kind of wife. And so young men, you should not just be changing the idea of what kind of woman you are looking for, but you should be working to be the kind of man who she can trust. And that's really what this first section is about. It's about trust. It says the heart of the husband trusts in her and she does him good and not harm. Right? Then they trust each other because they have both committed both to each other, but even more importantly, they have both committed to a similar goal. They are both committed to God. And a husband and a wife who have done the work of both connecting themselves to God's work are unified, not by anything about that other person. They are unified because they are connected to God. And they, by both submitting to God, this allows them to submit to one another without fear. Staying unified in marriage is hard because both people are changing constantly. Can I get an amen? What doesn't change is who God is. And so while life will throw you a lot of curveballs, a lot of things will go differently than you would have expected. If these two people have their lives aimed at God together, these changes will not pull them apart. As a matter of fact, if your life is organized around bringing glory to God, then there is nothing that this life can bring that is not a chance for worship. And so their love for one another will grow as they navigate it together and it will be good all the days of their life and they will all live happily ever after. Let's pray. No, we know it's just simply, or it's not that simple, I should say. But I can promise you that if you marry someone that you can't trust, life will be miserable. If you commit yourself to someone who is primarily concerned about themselves, then there's a good chance that you will grow apart. And so it is worth seeking out the rare jewel of noble character, both for men and for women. Do not be hasty in your choice of spouse and do the work of preparing yourself to be a trustworthy person before you even know who that other person is. Now the text goes on from here to start sort of elaborating on on what the character of this woman is. This is what it says, verse 13. So she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is not yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a a vineyard. So the picture that we have painted here for us is a woman who works hard to provide for her family. It tells us she gets up early. She harvests wool and flax, both of which require quite a bit of work. She transforms that then into something that her household needs. Now, before um, we, we decide that this is some sort of command for all mothers to stay at home, it then adds, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar, and she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard, both of which imply a certain business acumen and a working outside of the home. And so the text itself prevents us from turning this into sort of a homemaker versus working mom argument. Um, But what it has the potential to do, what I've seen it do, is promote the idea that a woman has to be superhuman. Working a full-time job and then going home and baking bread and making a gourmet meal. Right? And this is a weight that many women find themselves in as they try to both take care of the things in and out of the home. 
It's what's called the double shift burden. Working women are still taking care of the majority of the work at home. Now, I've also read a lot of ideas of how to fix this. Everyone's got an opinion. Some people think that men just kind of need to step up to the plate. Um, others believe that employers are part of the solution. Other people want the government to step in and do something about it. Um, and while I'm sure some of these will help lessen the burden, the truth is this. The struggle to balance work and home life is one that will always be with us. Every household has to figure it out. Every household is going to struggle with it in one way or another. And all of us are working with different variables. Some people have kids. Some of you have a lot of kids. Hey, preach to the choir. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Some people make more money than others. That kind of makes this, the, the, the problem a little bit easier. Um, some people have a situation where um, the, the, the wife has the ability to make more money in the workplace. Um, but what every married couple and family has to figure out is how are we going to get all the things we need to do in the allotted amount of time with the resources we have been given. That's the puzzle everyone has to figure out. Each and every one of us has 24 usable hours every day and a list of things that needs to be done in that amount of time. Right? So every single one of us has to figure out how are we going to pay all the bills and do all the things that need to be done. And there's two ways to approach this. Um, you can think of this sort of financially. You can minimize how much you're spending or you can increase how much that you are making. And that works for time as well. Um, you can sort of uh, figure out how to become better at doing a lot of things or you can just decide I'm going to do less things. Um, but as you go through life, what you're going to figure out is it's not a cold mathematical computation. Um, really solving this is more of a dance. There's times when it makes more sense to stretch a dollar, and when you need to do that, you better figure out how to work with wool and flax. Um, there's other times when, when going out and making more money makes sense, and then you better figure out how much a field is worth so that you can buy and sell. And ultimately, what it's telling us here is that a woman of noble character is one that is willing to be part of the dance, to help figure out what needs to be done. Now, like a dance, there needs to be a lead, and what the Bible tells us is that the husband is the one called to lead. And this is why whenever the Bible talks about provision, it's the man who ultimately is held responsible. And we see this all over. I'll give an example out of 1 Timothy 5, where it says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And what that's telling us is that it's the husband's responsibility to bear the weight, to feel the pressure, and his wife should help him solve the problem so that he doesn't break under that weight. A husband shouldn't put the burden on his wife, but she should be working to figure out how they will accomplish it together. And so I think the most telling line in this whole section, uh, the one that really summarizes it all, is that she works with willing hands. I love that. She works with willing hands. There's things that need to be done. She is willing to do it. She is going to work with him to accomplish what they have been called to together. All right, it goes on. Verse 17. It tells us, She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. 
She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is like fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Now this is, I think, would have been quite shocking to the people um, uh, that it was written to, that, that womanhood is described here as in strength. I say we've kind of become used to that. We, we tend to, to exist in kind of these wars over who's, who's more powerful, men and women, and all that garbage. Um, but through much of human history, a lot of the conversations surrounding women was about how they are the weaker vessel, not enough about the power of femininity. And so this section wants to sort of recast women as possessing great might. And it encourages women to, to embrace their power. It refers to dressing with strength and making your arms strong and knowing the value of your merchandise. As we read this, we have to remember we're reading poetry. Um, Specifically, this is an acrostic poem, so the beginning of each line begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, um, again, we need to read it as poetry. This is not primarily about clothing and bench pressing and and reselling stuff on eBay. Now, this is talking about being cognizant of the ways that your strength is manifested. Know your value. Ladies, put on your strengths and exercise them so that you can become even stronger in the things that God has equipped you with to be powerful. Now, in order to do that, you go, well, I need to know what those things are. I need to know where to put my time, where to put my energy. How has God made women strong? Well, I would say this section actually gives us quite a few um, examples, though not nearly an exhaustive list. So I'm going to go through a couple real quick. Um, the first thing uh, that I think it points to is, is the consistency of women. It says she puts her hand to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. Uh, this is describing the work of spinning uh, wool into yarn so that it can be used to make clothing and other fine linens. Um, this process is repetitious. It requires this continual mo- movement that is kind of fine motor skills over and over in a particular way. Now, what I find interesting about this, you may not, but um, studies have shown that the physical makeup of women makes them better suited for this sort of fluid, continuous motion. Uh, There was a study done on ergonomics for uh, women in factory settings, determining why women excelled in these uh, situations, these environments, when men did not. And it came to this conclusion, and I'm quoting this, just to be clear, it says, females were found to have lower biomechanical negative effects in the upper extremities compared to similar male exposure and a high rate of productivity, especially in tasks of low force demand. This can be attributed to the fact that men use more strength than what was strictly necessary to accomplish the task. That's funny to me. <laughs> right? I can imagine a guy with a spindle going, <laughs> What we see is that the, the strength of men becomes a negative when it comes to many of the repetitious tasks of life. I would say this is the reason why men tend to let everything pile up and then do it all at once. Someone who did my dishes this morning knows, right? This is why a common conversation in marriage is wives telling their husbands, if you would just pick up along the way, there wouldn't be so much left at the end. By the way, the wives are right. They are right. It's not the first time I will say that. Um, 
And this is one of the strengths that they bring into the relationship. This is one of the strengths they bring into the world. They actually, this is a gift given to women. They are better at this than men. It's not an excuse, guys. Pick up your stuff. Second thing this section points to, strength of women, is compassion. It says she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. Uh, women are naturally more nurturing and sympathetic. Um, some biologists have connected to this to the fact that they are the ones who carry life and give birth when they're trying to connect it biologically. As Christians, we would say it's because God has instilled in them this compassionate trait. This is the reason why little kids want their moms when they get hurt rather than their dads. Uh, they know that they will receive a more empathetic response from their mom. Um, this also expresses itself outside of the family unit. Um, women are more in tune on the emotional level. Um, they often feel when someone is experiencing pain in a way that men just simply don't. And so I would say in order for a household to be socially mature, it requires women to flex these muscles and to voice the needs of others. The guys just will not see it. Men, of course, this also means that you need to listen. Recognizing that, that engaging on the emotional level tends to be a weakness for guys. And in the greater scope of things, this is why men are far more likely to be sociopaths, people who are, have basically no emotional response. All right, number three, multitasking. Um, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Um, she is prepared for what is to come. She is prepared for things that haven't yet come. Um, uh, I, even if it snows, uh, which is not actually common in the Middle East, she's ready. She has warm clothes in a bin somewhere, um, and she knows where that bin is. Um, which means, among all the other things that she is thinking about on a daily basis, she's ready for the possibility of snow. Um, I've had this discussion with a lot of guys, um, how crazy it is that our wives keep all of these details of life together in their heads. Um, I can remember my kids' birthdays, um, but not always the years. Um, my wife remembers the weight of each of our children from birth. Now, that might be abnormal, I don't know, um, but there's plenty of studies that have shown the ability of women to multitask and to keep a greater number of concerns in the foreground in a way that men are not capable of. Um, now, there's a negative with this, Right, the negative to this is this also means they're worrying about hundreds of things all the time. Um, but we're focusing on strengths right now. Strengths outweigh the negative. Fourth thing, fourth thing that is pointed out here, strength of women is beauty. So she makes her bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Um, here we have uh, the woman of Proverbs both making her home beautiful and dressing in such a way that reveals beauty. Um, so there's this aesthetic as aspect, it's also often called the feminine touch, uh, that women add to the world. Uh, men towards, tend towards the utilitarian, they, they want to get the job done, um, but God has given women a specific love of and gift for how things look. And there are so many different ways that women bring this into life, besides throw pillows, but also throw pillows, right? And so there's a, there's a confidence, though, and an assurance that comes from knowing um, what she was made for and investing in that. Again, women, to know where your strengths are and to actually invest in that and exercise that will make you more confident in who you are. And this is what we see in verse 25 here. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. Right, so she balances strength and dignity. She knows where to put her efforts and who she was created to be. 
And this gives her a confidence and a peace, so much so that she laughs. She laughs at what she doesn't even know is going to happen. She's confident that she will be able to face it. Not because the future is not going to be difficult, but because using the gifts that God has given her to do the work that God prepared beforehand puts her right in the center of his purpose. And so in good times and bad, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, she has the opportunity to glorify God by living out the power of femininity and strength and dignity. And this not only gives her an internal sense of security, but also gains her praise, also makes her a benefit to everyone around her. And that's where we go in verse 26. It says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. That's what the husband is saying. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her work praise her in the gates. And so a woman who embraces her womanhood and does not feel the need to apologize for or overcome who she is exudes wisdom and kindness. And everyone she interacts with is blessed by her. We see here her children call her blessed. Her husband praises her. God is worshipped by her work. And the people of the town notice. The perfect example of this is in, in, kind of in one woman in the Bible uh, is the one woman who is referred to as a noble woman, and that's Ruth. In Ruth 3.11, Boaz says to Ruth, he says, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy or noble woman. Now, they saw this, they knew this, based on the commitment that she had made to Naomi and the way that she was basically willing to do whatever was necessary to support and take care of her mother-in-law. Her faithfulness was known, and it was celebrated. Now, I said last week that we often allow society to give us value. And one of the places that I have seen this is for those who put their time and energy into the household. Right? Not only does our society have a complicated relationship with the idea of family, but many women put a lot of time and energy into all the different things listed in this chapter, only to feel like they are underappreciated or not seen at all. Work outside the home, you have a boss that potentially praises you, depending on what your job is, but you do receive a paycheck that validates your work, raises and bonuses that reward good work, maybe even awards of excellency. Much of the work being addressed in this chapter, though, lacks this sort of built-in feedback. You, you don't kind of earn your identity and respect. And so the promise of this chapter that you will be praised um, too often does not happen. And the reason why many wives feel beat down is because they're not given the honor that they deserve. And so turning to the guys once again, when it comes to your wife knowing how valuable she is, your wife being built up and respected, being even praised, this is your responsibility. There's no one else that's going to do this for you. Too many women go looking for affirmation outside of the home because their family does not acknowledge or celebrate them in the way that they deserve to be celebrated. She's far more precious than jewels. And let us not forget that. 
Let the woman in your life know, women in your life know, how much they mean to you, how much of a gift they are, how much your life has been shaped and guided by who they are, so much so that your life is now so much better because they are in it. Now the truth is, in a sinful world, there are just many situations in which it's not going to work out as it should, where being noble is not going to be met with praise. And in this, we need to make sure that we are finding our value in who God says that we are. This is why being committed to his purposes and aligned with his created role is so important. Because the world will not always recognize what is of value. And in those times, we have to find our identity in who God says we are and how he is working through us. I think the most beautiful picture in the Bible of this uh, comes from the Christmas story. Right before Jesus is born, we see an angel appear to Mary and tell her that she will give birth to and raise the Savior of the world. I can imagine receiving that news. Right? This is something that is now going to define her life. It's also something that's going to tarnish her image, as she will be a woman pregnant out of wedlock. Yet she does not look at it through the cultural cost, but as an amazing part of God's purpose. And she responds to this blessing, to this gift, with a song that we read at the beginning of the service. Right? It begins by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I love that because that is true of every single person who has come to Jesus, man or woman. Every single person who comes to Jesus has been rescued from a life of sin and has received overwhelming grace. We are all people who have been blessed by God in our humble estate. He who is mighty has done great things for us. And as he calls us to himself, he also calls us to humbly take on the roles that we were created for. Not to limit us but so that he can work through our obedience to him. And so every week when we come together, we come to remind ourselves that we are blessed, that we've been given so much, including identity and purpose. And so as you come forward for communion today, as you come to the table, come celebrating what Jesus has done for you and commit to responding with lives that worship him by Embracing the strength that he has designed into us from the beginning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all that you have given to us, even those things that we look at and we wish were different. We thank you for the ways that you have have blessed us and shaped us even through difficult times. God, so much of our lives, we would write in a different way, and yet we know that because you are there in it, because you are working through it, um, the limitations and the weaknesses that we see are, are not as limiting as we think. And so I pray that you would help us to better understand who we are. Help us to better understand what it means that we are yours, that our lives have been purchased to now live for your glory. And help us to make whatever changes necessary um, to get ourselves aligned with that. 
You have done great things for us. Help us to respond appropriately. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.